You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, 24-7 Sports. As previously mentioned at the end of last week, the final version of my way-too-early mock went up. Uh, all 30 picks are in, two picks per team. A lot of names to know, and it's, it's always more valuable as a pre-primer in terms of names to look at, names to watch, and such. The overall draft looks like it's going to be better than a year ago, but uh, at this point in time, it's always the who really knows. Like, I have my list, I have my names, I'm still debating them. I really don't have an order. You know, at a point to talk about Emerson Hancock as being my number one overall prospect, but there's some issues with that. The thing I'll say is last year's draft had a ton of college bats, which are always one of the most valuable commodities in a draft because they're the safest commodity in a draft. This year's class doesn't have that. Um, and last year's class also had, the past few years, have had that like sure dynamite number one overall prospect to me with Casey Mize, Aldi Rushman. There were even multiple candidates to be up there. I mean, to me, there was clear guys each of the last two years, but there was a nice secondary tier below them. I don't have anyone that's really in those top two tiers entering this year's draft. I don't have anyone I trust that much. Even a player like Spencer Torgerson, who statistically I should be all about with his high-level production over two years, but the strikeout rate is a bit of a concern, as we have seen that that can be a negative indicator. And if I'm taking a guy 1-1, I kind of want the bare minimum of negative indicators. It's, It's enough when they're undersized and play a less valuable position, like, and we're talking about him as a slam dunk top five pick, which is not crazy. I mean, there's he's definitely in there, but th- this isn't like an Andrew Vaughn where he spent two years destroying the game, was young for the level, and just was an on-base machine uh, with power potential as well. There, there's a few more concerns. So that's what's kind of interesting with this draft. Um, the Indians will be set up due to the competitive balance to have you know two picks in the top 40 or so. That is always very good. It is also interesting to see if they hold on to that pick or if they try to leverage it like they did a year ago when they traded their second round pick to the Mariners in the Carlos Santana deal, which I mean the Santana then Santana end of it worked out spectacularly. The giving up a pick and Yandy Diaz, not as much. Um, also coming this week is going to be my Indians top 11. I don't think you'll find more words anywhere on a top 11 uh, it, it's always a little bit different, but that will come up and that'll be something for everyone to follow. Let's take a quick trip around baseball before the episode and we kind of dive into some Indians related news. So Steven Strasburg opted out and the Padres planned to pursue him. Now he was a lightly recruited guy out of high school and went to uh, San Diego State. I believe at the time he was there with Tony Gwynn, um, who was the head coach before he passed away, unfortunately, from uh, cancer. But he was one of those guys that uh, kind of set the baseball world on its head. Everyone knew he was going to be the first overall pick, and it was those back-to-back picks that uh, really helped build the Nationals because uh, Strasburg and Harper were no doubt number one overall picks each of those years. Um, I mean, there wasn't even a competition. Those were the guys that were going 1-1 each of those years. And, you know, he, uh, he helped get them there. It hasn't always been a straight road. There's been injuries. There's been issues. My issue with like thinking, oh, this San Diego, this is interesting. Yes, he is a California kid, but as we saw with Patrick Corbin going to the Nationals a year ago, that stuff all goes away because at the end of the day, what really matters most is bottom line and money. 
And if it's not bottom line of money, it's often about how comfortable you are with an organization. Uh, players that feel really comfortable. I mean, you've all been out there. I've had a job where I, I've, I've accepted a few thousand less in a yearly salary because I just felt comfortable there. I knew how everything worked. I knew the situation. And, and sometimes people will trade a little bit of money for comfort. That happens. But, you know, he doesn't know the Padres organization. If he's going to take less money, it would be to stay in San, or in Washington, which has been with him through the ups and downs. Opting out now is smart. He is at a point where he can get a long-term contract. He can get a lot of money. I know he was already getting a lot of money, but he can get even more. And I think he'll likely return to the Nationals. Um, I don't see him going to the Padres because if you are Strasburg at this point in your career, you're going to go for the most money. I don't think that's going to be the Padres. The Padres have... Lots of badly committed money between Hosmer and Will Myers that they're stuck with. They're giving Machado a lot. I just can't see them investing even more. Um, at this point, it'd be a surprise. I can't see them being the highest bidder. Um, they're, of course, they're going to try, you know, pitch nostalgia to him. But, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. He's gonna if, if Strasburg ends up going somewhere else, it's going to be because, like, the Yankees bowl him over. Or Houston decides that they're not going to chase Cole and they're going to go for Strasburg instead and just throw all that money at him or maybe the the angels i mean the angels would make a lot of sense in that kind of situation as well he's going to be one of the the hot names in free agency i mean he had a absolutely phenomenal year uh let's jump over to the washington nationals who exercised the options on eating and do little that's not a surprise but what's interesting here is that jan gomes nine million dollar option was declined so if you were not paying attention uh to jan gomes this year he you know, had some moments in the postseason for him, and he's just an utterly fantastic person. But he was not very good. His, um, he was kind of a league average player um, across the board with, you know, a below league average bat, just about a league average bat, um, average defender. He's going to get a million dollars in buyouts. Say, hey, the Indians saved a million by trading him. But it kind of shows that, it, you know, two years ago wasn't a bounce back. Two years ago was, <coughs> excuse me, was... Just kind of a last hurrah. Um, if he's willing to take a minor league deal, I could see the Indians trying to bring him back as kind of a, a third catcher, um, especially when you look at the way things are going with Cleveland. Um, there is a chance they flip Kevin P or they decide not to keep him. You've already got Haas, and how much longer are you going to keep him down there? Um, you need three catchers, though. So if you can get a Jan Gomes to kind of come in and be your minor league catcher, be that guy who's going to make a little bit more money as the former vet, we'll see what market develops for him. But just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, Astrubal Cabrera is another one of those guys. I'll be kind of curious to see a former Indian from the Nationals who is, uh, I think, he'll get more money just because uh, utility. I mean, the guy can play all over. And he continues to be a solid performer offensively while being able to help you out at short, second, third, kind of bounce all around. Uh, yeah, it's uh, those are just some of the things that kind of stood out in terms of we don't have a ton of news really yet. We're still kind of in the uh, the doll period before it all gets uh, uh, to our medium stove. I don't know if I want to call it a hot stove because it's always been traditionally more of a, a semi a lukewarm stove. You know, if you touch it, you're going to have to um, you know put your finger in ice, but you don't need to go to the hospital when it comes to baseball these past few years. One of our longest sponsors has been our best sponsor, and they're currently sponsoring us even in the postseason. And if you've listened, you know it's Blue Chew. Blue Chew has been a great supporter of this, of this podcast. A little bit of uh, editing in there because I apparently forgot how to say the word podcast. But, you know, I've talked to them. This is the little blue, chip, little blue pill that is so confident in its abilities 
to give you mail enhancement that it's going to send you a free trial. You pay five bucks, you go over there, and you go and use the promo code on bluechew.com. Promo code, of course, being MLB. You've heard it a hundred times by now. But again, I can't stress enough. They believe in their product so much they're giving it away for free because they think once you try it, you will have to use it again. And baseball, we had a I always like to bring up the fact there was the controversy of baseball players and using uh, really low-end male enhancement. Don't don't use a low-end male enhancement. Go use Blue Chew. Remember, you're going to go to BlueChew.com using the promo code MLB. And we're back. So uh, in between when I started the first half of this podcast and when I'm coming back due to the magic of uh, you know editing software, the Gold Glove winners were announced. Now, the Gold Glove winners are always... Um, kind of a, a process of seeing how few uh, people are paying attention because uh, there's always some ridiculousness you know the Raphael Palmero one a few uh, many years ago was kind of a prime example of this now I talked about how David Peralta was hurt most of this year and how that was going to make his trade value very low if you remember from that Diamondbacks episode um, we'll later on talk about some of the, the feedback from people in Arizona David Peralta um, won a gold glove today. David Peralta uh, only appeared in roughly, you know, half of his team's games. He didn't even make it to 100 games this year, and he won a gold glove. So, okay. I mean, it's just, it's always kind of surprising to me. Um, the Indians had a pair of winners, and Francisco Lindor and Roberto Perez, both well-deserved. Roberto Perez between like his defensive run saves and his pitch framing, I, he might be the best defensive catcher in baseball right now. So when you take everything he does with the bat, it's all gravy. Um, the Indians had a fairly miserable 2007 draft, except for Lonnie Chisinau and Roberto Perez. And Roberto Perez is going to end up being the best player in that class, it certainly looks like. But well-earned for him at the catching position. It's always been hard for Lindor because he's stuck in a conference with Andralton Simmons, but he got recognized this year in spite of his injury, and he got that, which is... There was a point this year where I had a Dodgers fan convincing me he's not that worthwhile of a player because his, his defense is, has regressed so much. And I'm like, well, he's still a really good defender. I don't think that's that's a real argument. And that's the thing with Lindor. You're getting just one of the most complete players in baseball at one of the top three hardest positions to find. Um, he is a truly special talent and one I don't think the Indians are going to trade. They came out and stated that. But let's talk about some other maneuvers the Indians did make. Um, they brought on David Sweeney to be the new uh, bullpen coach after firing Scott Atchison earlier in the year. Uh, they also, I thought it was interesting, I, I you know, Sweeney, whatever. I don't have a lot on him. I don't know him super well. He pitched for a long time and is kind of, um, you know, spent some time in the Phillies and in here, and I haven't heard much on him. Let's put it that way. But, you know, the other one here is someone I've heard about a lot over the years, and that's Ruben Nibella. Nibella, I never pronounce his name correctly. I never pronounce anyone's names correctly, but he is a very analytically driven, very intelligent person who has been at the forefront of the Indians minors for a while. And when you talk about who's out there helping these pitchers uh, figure out the mechanics, who's out there working in the uh, the day-to-day helping all these minor league guys before they make the jump, it's Ruben. 
uh, putting him on the major league staff, giving him a promotion, kind of creating a position for him. Incredibly intelligent. This is not a guy they want to lose. This is someone who will hopefully continue doing what he's doing for this team at points bouncing down to the minors, at points helping out guys in the major league roster. He is an excellent coach, and it was a big addition. I'm great that he is very happy, and you should be too, that he is staying in Cleveland. Um, Because that's what you want to see. You want to see him staying. He's one of those guys you don't want to lose to another organization who will, again, recognize the value of what someone like uh, Ruben does. You know, we've seen the Astros kind of create additional positions for guys like this. So uh, Sweeney, we'll see. Again, I don't have much. I'm not positive on this. I'm not negative. But Ruben, I am incredibly positive about, and I think it was a great addition by the Indians. I promised I would uh, talk about some of the reactions I got from Arizona fans, the general ones being uh, no, no thanks. Uh, talking to people in and around Arizona, uh, some with some connections to the team, they think they're going to compete next year. That every team in that division outside of the Giants is going to be trying to win that division. I personally have them listed about third in the lineup. I get it, though, on a base level. I talked about their pitching depth. They have a pretty good pen. Uh, Kettle Marte is a top five MVP candidate. If he can repeat what he did last year, they have some young guys still coming down the pipe. But it's not a team that I really think can compete with the Dodgers. It's not really a team that I think can compete with even the Rockies if they get a little bit better pitching if Freeland rebounds. I'm just not sold on them. Uh, I, I probably have a little more faith in the Padres than Arizona at this point. But, uh, yeah, they think that, you know, uh, Escobar is incredibly valuable, and that which I agree with, um, but that they can't move him. Uh, because they're going to try to compete, and he's kind of one of those central pieces, and they don't really have another lefty in their pen, so Chafin makes little sense to move. Uh, There is some thought that they still might try to look to move Robbie Ray, because I mentioned the depth. I was talking with Brandon Warner on Twitter, a twins guy, and we were discussing the possibilities of something along the lines of Robbie Ray for uh, Eddie Rosario and someone like Nick Gordon and maybe another piece. Um... Because when you get right down to it, it's like Nick Ahmed also won a gold glove. Uh, We mentioned that the Indians had two, while the Diamondbacks had two besides Peralta. And they don't have really anything at second. So they got to figure out what they're doing at second base, um, figure out what they're doing with Jake Lamb, figure out what they're doing with their pitching staff. But they have a basis of a a decent pen, a good pen. Not a great pen, but, you know, kind of a upper half of the league pen and they've got like I said tons of choices for that rotation and there are some bats that stand out it's just going to be a hard place for them to uh to get to the top there's some talk that they're going to reinvest some of that savings from Granke and Goldschmidt and go out in the free agent market maybe I, I just don't know what they do it's not a strong second base market um in general they could chase an outfielder but again I'm kind of remembering going through that list and not being overly impressed with the outfield market uh i I don't know we'll see what the diamondbacks do but yeah the general feeling back from the diamondbacks was no they're not going to be trading off their pieces they think that they can contend which is what we ran into basically a year ago where almost every single team i think i counted like four teams at the start of the year weren't uh actively starting the season with a thought process that they could compete there were very few it was like the entire nl central was going for it the entire nl west out in the al east was like everybody but the marlins I, it was like one team in the national league and then the american league you had uh baltimore toronto 
you had Kansas City and Detroit. And then out in the West, I mean, I think you had Seattle, who, which was funny because they started the year by, you know, having the best record in the West, eventually selling off everything in, in a series of smart deals. But it feels like we're going to enter next season with kind of that same situation. It's going to be a situation where you look at the teams I mentioned, the Marlins, uh, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Tigers, the Royals. Those teams aren't looking to contend. Uh, Seattle. But everyone, and you can add in now like the San Francisco Giants, probably the Pittsburgh Pirates once they get a new GM. Um, but everyone else is, again, you look out in the East, the Nationals just won the World Series. The Phillies have been building their core. The Mets have a ton of interesting pieces. The Braves won that division. Central, you have the Cubs, who are always big spenders. Brewers, who made the playoffs. The Reds, who went out and made that Bauer deal and are kind of stacking their chips for this season. Uh, the Cardinals, who won the division. Out West, again, everybody but the Giants is kind of out there buying. So it's going to be, again, it's, it's an interesting market for to acquire MLB talent, guys who are ready to help now uh, because everyone thinks they have a shot. It's really interesting to see. Maybe it's the addition of that second wild card or, or what, but it feels like most of the league uh, is out there thinking that they are going to make the playoffs this year or at least make a big try at it. One could say there's even more teams because you know the White Sox were very borderline a year ago. I don't think anyone didn't really make any moves. The question is, are they going to finally go out there and make a real move? Um, they added a bunch of pieces to try to get Machado on the cheap, I guess. But they have the money. They have the market size. They have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. They should be incredibly active. They need pitching. Uh, if you don't want to go for Garrett Cole, fine. But they need to go out and start getting some of those guys who are the next tier down. And they need to have, like, two of them. And they have the payroll and the market size to do it. I don't know if they will, but they should. And if they don't want to go out and do it that way, then trade for him. They should be in the Robbie Ray sweepstakes. They should... Uh, you know, they have the minor league depth to go make a move like that. They should be contacting teams. They should have been one of those teams that, uh, you know, it's like when the Miami Marlins traded Zach Gallen, that White Sox should have been in on that. You want to be, I don't know who's available. And I feel like Zach Gallen wasn't necessarily available. The Astro, the Astros, the uh, Diamondbacks just saw what the cost would be and decided to agree. They made the, you know, they were the aggressor. And sometimes that's what you need to be. But yeah, it's going to be. Uh, it's hard to go out and make the trades and we'll continue to look through teams and figure things out and see if there's any other trades that make sense uh, the NL West is now in the books we'll continue working through the NL Central this week but it is just this point in time where uh, everyone thinks they can win and you have maybe 6-7 to seven teams that aren't trying so the Indians kind of have to do like what they did with the Reds' Bauer deal where they got a prospect from... I mean, what's interesting in that, that was a three-team where all three teams expect to compete in, you know, 2020. At that point, it was pretty clear the Reds and the Padres were not playoff bound. The Indians still had a chance at it. But it was still three teams that didn't want to trade away um, a ton of now talent. Talent? Talent, because they were going to try to compete in a year. And while the Indians added Freeman, they did not add Freeman, while the Indians added Fran Mill, uh, and the hope Logan Allen and Scott Moss can help them next year, uh, they also added Puig, who was in a walk year. The Reds added a pitcher, and the Padres condensed their assets, and I've talked about this deal ad nauseum. But at the end of the day, the Indians made a deal with the hope of being better this year. We'll see how it turns out. We'll see how it turns out for all those teams. 
but I guess we can sadly cross Arizona off the list. Maybe you can make a lesser deal for Jake Lamb. Um, there could be some value in that. Like if you can get Jake Lamb to get back to where he was before, um, then all of a sudden he becomes an interesting player because he's a rental. He fills that need. And if he doesn't play well, then, well, you got Nolan Jones hopefully ready to go before uh, the you know the midseason mark. But So maybe that's, that's the, the deal to revisit with Arizona. Thank you to everyone who's listening, reading, and reviewing. And as always, go Tribe.